0: I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson. And this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Last week, we heard Kaylee Humphries tell her exciting Olympic journey that culminated in an epic gold medal win on her home soil of Canada. If you haven't heard it yet, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to episode nine first before jumping into today's second part of her journey, that takes a completely unexpected turn. Just to remind you, Kaylee Humphreys is a two-time Olympic champion and Olympic bronze medalist in the two-woman bobsled. And with her victory in 2014, she became the first female bobsledder to defend her Olympic title. And to date, Kaylee is the most successful Canadian bobsledder in history. But as I told you last week, her story doesn't end there. In today's episode, we pick up right where we left off, winning the Olympics on home soil. But was it a fluke? Questions like that and doubt plague Kaylee moving forward, even though her goals were big enough to write history. She walks us through defending her gold medal and how consistency proved to be the key to victory. Kaylee also shares her story of overcoming abuse and earning her way back to the top of the world, all while representing a new country. But before we dive into part two of Kaylee's story... I want you to go ahead and subscribe to this show right now so that you don't miss a single episode. The very next one could be the one that you need in order to overcome some obstacle, or maybe it could provide the encouragement you need to hear in order to keep going and make it to the end. And while you're there subscribing, please take a minute to rate and review us. Your reviews really do help us bring on these awe-inspiring guests. I believe that there is gold in your future, so let's dive on into part two with Kaylee Humphreys. Well, what was the difference? Because you did keep going and 2014 was also epic. So what is the difference for you between 2010 and
1: 2014? Very different. Um, and I get this question a lot where people are like, what's your favorite metal?" And you're like, <laughs> that's like trying to pick your favorite kid. Like you can't, <laughs> like it just doesn't happen. And you're like, "I, I can't, like, even if I wanted to say something, you just, you can't. Like Vancouver will be special for what Vancouver is. The lessons I learned in 06, even though I didn't get to actually compete, it's still a special Olympics, 2014. So that next four years, I knew right away after 2010, I was going to go for the next four years. Um, But that next four years, there was a lot of stress, a lot of pressure and expectation a little bit from other people. Most of it was me making it up in my head, but I definitely, I had made it. I was Olympic champion. I'm the best in the world. To then the very next year coming fifth at world championships and getting slapped in the face. And my ego was like, okay, maybe you need to take a minute. You're not fully there yet. And it, it was okay. I needed it. But it definitely, I felt a lot more pressure, a lot more stress. There was more responsibility. I would go to like the Canadian Olympic Committee would have events that they would put on. And they're like, Kaylee, you've been there. You've done it. You've now won a medal. You know what it's like to be a leader in the team. And I'm like, (laughs) I still feel like an amateur. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for all this responsibility that comes. You've made it. You've succeeded. What's that like? And you're like, I can tell you what it's like, but please don't look at me like I'm, you know, some extreme goat of whoever that's done this and has what you want, because I feel like a rookie just as much now as i did you know 4 months ago before i won this medal like not much time has passed between me winning and not winning where all of a sudden there's more expectations and i and i felt that and so i really had to lean on my coaching staff i had to lean on other athletes that were still in the program that had been in that position for longer and that next four years for me, the big goal was trying to defend my Olympic title and nobody in women's bobsled had ever defended an Olympic title before. And so everybody, it was going to be the first in history and can you do it? And so there was the expectation of like, can I, I don't know. It was right. the first one of fluke. Was it because it was at home and I had more training runs than everybody? Was it just because, You know, I got lucky and I knew the track. Do I actually know what it takes to win? Can I be the first one to do this? And there was more doubt. And so I really had to, again, bring it back to step-by-step process, focusing on what I could control and then learning to understand what it meant to be a leader. And so I went to Marnie McBean, um, Clara Hughes, a bunch of prominent Canadian females who I know have defended Olympic titles before. And there's not a whole bunch of them, but there's a few. And so it was, how did you handle this? How did you deal with this? And I just, you know, similar to this podcast, it was asking those questions um, and then understanding that I could just phone them when I got to a situation or not that Instagram was big back then, it was more Twitter, but you get to the point when you're like, okay, you know, sending messages, reading books, trying to understand what leadership was and then relying on my coaching staff to take that pressure off. I'll answer the questions that I know. But if I don't know something, I can't tell somebody something I don't know. And being okay with that, even though there might be an expectation to answer, you know, how do you drive this bobsled corner? Yeah, What's the best? What's the perfect line? And you're like, here's what I do, you know? Yeah. And so I'll tell you what I do, but I can't guarantee you that's going to win you the race. It works for me. I don't know for you. And I had to be okay with not having all those answers. And I had to learn how to be a leader and answer the questions That I felt comfortable doing and wanting to inspire and help that next generation of Olympian, but then trying not to feel the pressure and stress of doing it. And it took a bit of time. I would say it took the full four years. And then we got to Sochi in 2014, 14 years, 14, four years later. And um, for me, I was like, well, All I know how to do is go back to a similar principle of what I did in 2010, which was focus on my performance. I wasn't going to look at the times uh, when I got to the bottom of the track. I was going to make the best decisions that I knew how to make and then just be very, very present in the moment when I'm pushing the sled, when I'm driving it down, even when I'm at the village, Um, making sure I'm present in the moment and not letting things overwhelm or really stress on anything. I think the good part about Sochi and what I was able to do mentally for me was to say, well, I already have an Olympic gold medal. So if this doesn't work, and it was kind of the opposite of 2010, where in 2010, I was like, well, I'm going to 2014. If this doesn't work, where in 2014, I was able to go back and go, okay, I have my medal. I've achieved my dream. If nothing works... You know what? You've done it once. Good job. At the same point, I really really wanted to defend the title. I wanted to be the first pilot to do it and I knew I had the ability and the skill to do it. And so I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't want to be another person of no one's done it so chances are you won't do it either. Okay. Again, history's not written. There's nothing that says it can't be me that is the person that does it. And so trying to focus on the positives, I just I went out and pushed the sled as hard as I could. 2014 was different in the sense of I was sitting in second place after day one. Each run, I was second. I won that race, finishing second in all four heats. Wow. And so it was a very different race. I had to, at the end of, or on my fourth and final run, I was sitting in second place And I drove down, I had a really nice last run. My third run wasn't the best, but my fourth and final run, I had nailed that run. I had to feel good. And I knew we had, it felt so good. And I knew we had given ourselves the best opportunity, but whether we won or not wasn't up to me anymore. It was up to the last girl coming down. Was she going to make a mistake or was she going to nail it too? And there was nothing else I could do. But I sat in the bottom of the sled for about, three whole seconds before I jumped out at the end of the race. And I thought, well, you know what? If we don't win, at least I'm happy with how I competed. And that felt nicer than just about anything because I knew I did my very best. And if we didn't win, somebody else was better. And I'm okay with that if I've done my best. If I've slacked or haven't done something right, I'm going to beat myself up over it if somebody else wins and I don't because you know, I'm the one that Didn't do the homework, you know, didn't eat the right foods, get enough sleep. But when I did everything to the best of my ability and I was there and I drove that track the best that I could do and somebody was better, you know what? That's competition and that's how it goes. And I should have raised my game. And so I sat there for a minute and I was like, I'm happy. I can be content with whatever else happens. And I knew we had at least secured a silver, but I was happy with my performance. And so we got out and then you have to watch the little TV screen and we watched Uh, American Alana Mm Myers-Taylor as the pilot drive down. And um, I, she's, let me start by saying Alana is one of my best friends. She's my biggest competitor. And there are days when I wish she sucked more than she does. (laughs) At the end of the day, she pushes me to be better. And she's an insane athlete and I adore her as a person. And so her and I have become really, really great friends. We actually have shared the podium all three times 2010, 2014, and 2018. That's so cool. And so I watched in 2014, and she would have said the same thing. And I know she has. We've each won world championships by a hundredth of a second over the other. And each time you watch it, and you're like, make a mistake, make a mistake. <laughs> and that was all I could think the whole way down. I was like, hit a wall, do something, not anything <laughs> bad or dangerous, but just like, you know, Forward go down. a little sideways, slow down a little bit and um she did she made a couple mistakes and it wasn't till about halfway down the track that i saw that time go from in the green which means she's ahead to all of a sudden it's like the time's getting closer and closer to ours and then there's about three corners left and she's tied but now she's on a downhill trajectory and then we just had to wait like the last three corners there isn't a clock between that and the finish so i was like oh just wait like hurry up just get to the end you want to just see and when she crossed the finish line she was a 10th behind us and so we ended up winning you know having been second in all four runs we were consistent we were the most consistent team out of anybody on that track Alana had two of her four runs she was the fastest and two of her four runs she was fifth and sixth ranked so for us Sochi in 2010 was about consistency. I knew what I was doing. I was able to repeat it and replicate it time and time and time again. And it might not have been the fastest, but it was pretty freaking close to perfect. (laughs) And I could do it every single time. And so that's what won us, you know, the, the second gold medal in 2014 and being able to defend. And it was a huge relief for me personally more than it wasn't a surprise anymore. Vancouver was like, we did it. We actually did it. Whereas in Sochi, it was a huge relief of we did it. And I knew we could do it. And it wasn't a fluke. This one wasn't a fluke. The first one wasn't a fluke. What I've learned, I have learned and I have practiced and I have visualized and I have dedicated and so have my friends and my family and my coaches and what we know we really know. And it cemented more of that leadership position on, okay, I am actually the athlete that I portray. I'm not winging it. I'm not faking it. I know how to be the best bobsledder for me. I know my abilities, my strengths, my weaknesses. I can challenge and push myself. And it was that um, reassurance of myself and my ability that I am most proud of. And that 2014 taught me more than anything.
0: Well, so that, okay. Epic. I mean, you are, I think the first person in history, right? To win back-to-back golds. Correct. It's like, wow. That's so cool. And now you're still going like, so what made you after that
1: want to keep going? For me, it was the ability to, could I be the only person in history, not female, but the only bobsledder in history to defend an Olympic title three in a row. And nobody in the sport had done it, male or female. And so that challenge motivated me to keep going. I also didn't feel like I was done. Even though I had you know, achieved what I set out to achieve, I knew there was more I could give to the sport. And there was more that I wanted to draw out of myself. In lessons and experiences, um, I loved what I was doing. And I wanted to push and see how far I could go as an athlete. And so that's what led me into the next quad of... 2014 to eighteen yeah, again, it was a very different quad. It was a very different next four years. I was more confident in my leadership title and ability. I knew who I was. I you know still faced many challenges, still faced many ups and downs for me, the biggest or the the hardest point between or for that next quad that next four years. Um, I went through multiple different teammates, so we had some girls that were brand new coming into the sport. And I really had to try and teach and educate people that had never been on a national team before, that were young, that didn't have, you know, really much success in any sport. And it reminded me back to when I was 18, 19, 20, first getting in and then trying to, you know, how do you max match two teammates, one, brand new into the sport, has no idea and has never, you know, competed at a high level with somebody who has achieved, you know, more than any other pilot in, you know, Olympic history for females had achieved. And so it, it was a balance and an interesting, um, way to face that next four years. It was a, a shift and a regeneration. And so for me, it was about having fun. It was learning, teaching accepting that leadership position and really trying to build that next generation. And I was happy with it. I was happy with that role. And again, it was a a different challenge. And so, yeah, it was, it was a fun time. Went into 2018, continuing to do the sport and learn and grow. And I had met my now husband during that four years. Uh So he actually had done bobsled back in 2009 for one year with team USA uh, I didn't know him at the time, but when he contacted me, it was in 2016. And the fact that we had mutual friends in common and that he had done bobsled and he was proud and supportive of me as an athlete allowed that communication piece to come together. And I had bigger goals in the 14 to 18 year in that four-year chunk. So part of you know giving back to that next generation was helping to improve the conditions and bring more, uh, equality and equity to women's bobsled. So men in our sport have two events that they race at the Olympics with two men and four men, and women only have one. We only have two men. And I've always thought that that was wrong <laughs> and it never felt right. And I always got mad. Cause I'm like, why do they get to race twice? And we only get to race once. <laughs> like they get double the chances on everything. Plus there's more participation. So men get 120 competitors an Olympics and bobsled at 40. So big difference in participation as well. And so I would ask and ask and ask the question of like, I want to do four men. I want to better myself and my skill. And I feel like four men would do that. Why don't women have four men? And I would get told women aren't good enough drivers. You're not strong enough. You're not tough enough. You're not fast enough. You can't handle the sled. Driving a four-man sled is like driving a truck versus a car. You're still driving the skills are still the same, gas pedal, brake pedal, driving, handling, windshield wipers, it's all the same. But the weight balance is different. Driving a bigger vehicle feels different on your body and handling the wheel than a little sports car. But the skills are still the same. And I, I used to get very mad because I felt like, and I know there's tons of women out there that you know, have been overlooked or second guessed based on gender. And I felt like I was always being tested at the same point, I felt like I was being not given an opportunity to better myself or to further the sport based on somebody else's perception. And for me, I'm like, look, people said I couldn't win a gold medal in four years, and I did it. People said you cu- I couldn't defend an Olympic title, and I did it. You're now telling me I can't drive four men because I'm a female and I don't have the right skills. I have the right skills. Let me show you. And so right after the Olympics, 2015 year they allowed women to compete in format, And myself and Alana from the US at the time, she took on, we took on this challenge. And right from day one, her and I were like, we're gonna show you guys. And it allowed us to grow our skill and our ability. You know, there's more people in the back. The sled is longer, there is more weight. Um, We competed with the guys for the first two years. And then we took an all women's crew for the next couple of years and tried to show the world that, You know, women want to do this; that it would increase participation. That we are skilled athletically and mentally enough to be able to handle this. And at the end of it, they did not include women's four men in this next Olympics in the twenty eighteen or the twenty twenty two games. But for that four years, we, uh, you know, we really leveled up. I had to race twice every week. I was racing amongst the guys. I was racing with women, and so. It really kind of doubled my workload, but it was fun. It was a new challenge. It was a new experience. So while I had new teammates, I was also able to raise and elevate my game going into 2018, which I knew it was going to take if I was going to defend for a third time.
0: That's so cool. But I mean, that's not the only thing you had to deal with. You had a lot of like coaching issues as well, didn't you?
1: Yes, I had many issues with the coaching staff and just a lot of disagreements with how things were being operated and how it affected me and my performance. And because I was approaching something nobody else in this sport had done, I felt the pressure and the stress, but it's nothing, it never felt greater than anything I had ever had on me before. So I knew how to handle and compartmentalize a lot of it, but I was constantly being told that I was wrong, that I was incorrect, that I was letting my country down. That I wasn't, you know, living up to expectations. That my teammates didn't like me, and it really started to get to me personally. Did and you didn't... start to like believe that? You do start to believe it. Yeah, I felt very taken advantage of, very um, threatened and abused mentally. And I would get yelled and screamed at at the top of bobsled tracks. And my world was very different in the Olympic year than it was in the other years. And I didn't know how to take it. And you do start to get to the point when you're like, am I hated? Do people not like me? Am I this, you know, piece of crap athlete? Like, I think I'm nice to people. I think I'm. Um, you're too fierce. You're too focused on the details. I'm like, but by being focused on the details, I win. And I've won more than any of you have ever won. So how is it wrong? Well, it's wrong and you shouldn't do it. And I know because I never did it. And you're like, yeah, but I've done it, and this is how I've done it. So then you start to second guess, and that felt really bad because I second guessed my skill set, I second guessed who I was as a person, and I, you know, I got really lost, and there wasn't much that I could focus on. Um, and then on top of it, the disagreements, the arguments, it created a very negative space, and I never could feel safe in my environment. I never could feel at ease. I felt like I was always on guard protecting myself, my performance, my personality, who I was. And then I had the internal battle on the inside of, you know, is what I'm being told accurate or not? And there was just no safe place for me to go is what I felt like. And so it was very challenging. About two months before the Olympics in 2018, I had a big disagreement with my coach and I I asked to go home. I asked to leave competition. I was done. I didn't want anything to do with sport. I wasn't having fun and none of it was worth it. I was broken down. I was beaten down and I felt useless. I felt destroyed as a person and as an athlete. And I couldn't contribute to my performance in the way that I knew required me to be the best. Um, and so took me back to a time when I was about 13 or 14 years old, and I felt very bullied from other kids. And I'm like, I am a grown-up. I'm a 32-year-old woman. How is this happening? But you get to a point when you know you do start to believe what people say. I'm getting headaches every single day. And that was abnormal for me. And then I started to go, am I getting concussions? Is it because of the sport? I'm, you know, experiencing physical issues now that are preventing my performance. And so I asked to go home. That led to a bigger conversation and we got to the Olympics and things started to turn around. And so by limiting one aspect that was causing me a lot of heartache and pain, it allowed me to keep uh, my group even tighter and even smaller I really focused on, I brought in my own coach and my own therapist for the Olympics in 2018. Oh, that's great. And so that allowed me to kind of create this little personal bubble where I did feel protected and I did feel safe. And we communicated that nobody else was to enter this space. And it got me through the Olympics. And 2018 was a success all on its own. I didn't win. I ended up coming third with a teammate that supported me as a person, as a friend, and as a teammate, which I am forever grateful for. She had to work so hard as an athlete to come from the summer Olympic world in one year into learn everything about bobsleigh and try and be the world's best. In
0: one year? In one
1: year. And so I was giving as much as I could to her but yet she was supporting me in a way that nobody else could. And so we really did build this friendship and this bond that couldn't have happened in any other capacity. And so I'm forever grateful for her for that. And so overall, it um, it ended up turning out well. I was happy with the end result, although it wasn't what I wanted. Obviously, I wanted gold, and I had worked hard to get there. Again, I got out of the sled at the bottom going, I did everything the best that I could. And it might not have been perfect and the buildup might have had some challenges. They were challenges that I faced to the best of my ability and I handled them with as much grace as I possibly could. And you know that this is the best that I could do and people were better. Yeah, I'm still very proud of 2018 and I'm stronger now as an athlete, as a female and as a human because of going through what I went through, I am more confident, but it definitely took an even worse turn following the games um, what happened? after the Olympics Then I filed an abuse and harassment claim. That has to be
0: hard. I mean, I know oh, to experience you... it, but then to stand up and yeah. actually do that has got to be so hard.
1: I've always adica- advocated for bullying in general. I was bullied when I was young, and I don't believe that there should that it shouldn't occur in sport. There's no need for it. I don't care how intense competition is. I am best friends with one of my biggest competitors. There is no need for people to look down on another based on hair color, race, gender. It doesn't matter what it is. Simply because you don't like them, okay, then don't talk to them. But you don't need to be mean. You don't need to attack people to make yourself feel better or try and reduce them for you to raise the bar. That's not how the world should be. And that's not people being the best versions of themselves. And I pride myself on trying to be my best version. Don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. And I have done many, many mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've tried to go back and apologize for the ones that I've done. But at the same point, um, people need to be aware that their actions affect others, what they say and what they do. And because I've lived through those experiences when I was experiencing it as an adult at 30 years old, and I couldn't see it right away, and I had to survive through it for a year, I got to the point and I was like, this isn't right. And this, my physical symptoms got worse. You know, I was getting rashes and hives all over my body. And I was experiencing a lot of issues post-sport. I went through about seven months of a severe depression and it wasn't a normal post-Olympic depression that most athletes get where for a month or two, you're like, oh, something's not right. And you're tired and you don't want to do anything and you become super lazy. And <laughs> I had had that before. The
0: Post-Olympic blues. The yep.
1: Post-Olympic yep. blues. It's a real thing. It and I have thing. experienced it. And I was like, okay, I, I know what this is. And so I gave myself those two months and it didn't get better and it kept getting worse. And I was getting more physical issues, which I had never had. And I was like, something's not right here. Like, And I didn't want to go back to sport and I was scared. And whenever I would go into like meetings or interactions or certain verbiage would come up and my heart would start racing and I would start shaking and I was having like panic attacks. And I'm like, what is happening? Um, So then I reached out to a sports psychologist. I went and had a brain scan done. I started doing a lot of stuff myself in order to try and figure out what was occurring. And that's when I physically, um, I went to a naturopath. I got diagnosed with depression, started taking medication for it. Started working with a sports psychologist Um, And we started processing everything post-Olympic year. And in doing so, we had worked through, you know, a lot of the symptoms and the issues and a lot of um, scenarios. I knew the repercussions weren't going to be good. It's never good. But at the same point, I also couldn't live my life in fear. And I know there's tons of athletes. And I watched many athletes not say stuff out of fear of retribution.
0: Right. I've they're afraid athletes. they're going to get taken off a team or they're not going to be allowed to continue to compete. That's, that's why I say it's, it's hard to call, call out the people in authority because they have the final it's so hard. say. And what if people don't believe yep. you over them? Yeah, that's tough. A
1: hundred percent. Because your funding will get taken away, your stipend or your right. carding, your, you know, sponsors will drop you. You'll get, you know, your teammates will get pitted against you. The coach will threaten them. Coach's discretion ultimately chooses the team. You know, you won't get therapy. You won't get funding. You won't get what it is you need to be the best. You'll get last pick in equipment. And it's all stuff I've seen other athletes get, you know, handed to them. I've seen other athletes threatened. I've been threatened with it before. So I needed to be able to be me in a safe environment to move forward. And I needed to make a claim in order to do that. So
0: yeah, what happened from that
1: point? Uh, Then everything you could expect happened that every athlete gets threatened with. My funding got taken away two months later. All my support got taken away. Basically, I ceased to exist in the sporting world of Canada and Bosled and as a three time Olympic medalist, having been in the sport for fifteen years, it was hard trying to figure out how the system can let you know certain athletes fall through the cracks. How can carding get taken away? How can you know therapy get restricted what rights do i have as an athlete what rights does the federation have what's the process for an athlete to go you know through this what happens and in bobsled if you sit out for longer than 2 years then you basically have to start again so if you don't do the sport for 2 years then you lose not only your world ranking but you lose the ability to compete at the world cup or the top level because the Federation is not eager to finish an investigation that could potentially hold them accountable. Right. And nobody could step in to help support me because of the way that the systems are run, Um, which is, you know, again, why athletes don't say anything because inevitably, and I've seen it, where athletes' careers are just over if they have no other options and can't just, you know, they can't just continue sport um, because no one wants to say they're a guilty party. But I sat out for a year, there wasn't much happening, and I knew if I sat out for a second season, then I was going to have to start again. And that was not something I wanted to do. It was not something I knew I wouldn't be able to to do that, and it would have been even further demoralizing to me to then have to prove I can drive a bobsled.
0: Well, and, and I don't know what the like lifespan of a bobsledder is, but you're in your thirties too. Like, as you, but I'm in my thirties. I'm you only thirty-four. Have so much time left, you know. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, but yeah, I would imagine time is always running out.
1: <laughs> you know, time's always running out. And it's not that I don't. It's not that I don't necessarily want to start again, or that I deserve to start again. But it felt so unnecessary as an athlete. All I tried to do was say, I feel unsafe in my environment. I just need some changes in order to move forward. Or is there, you know, what needs to happen in this process, I feel unsafe. You know, athletes are very vulnerable to their coaching staff, to the leadership, to the environment that they're in, your hopes and goals and dreams, everything you work for is headed towards a specific goal. And that can be manipulated very easily, you know, when an athlete is solidly focused on being the best at a specific date. And when other people have control over that outcome and what happens in that journey, you're susceptible to a lot of issues that come up. And I was like, I'm just going to do the same thing here. So I asked to be released from my federation and I just wanted the ability to go compete for somewhere else. If I wanted to continue to compete, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do 100%, but I knew I wasn't going to be safe where I was and I needed to walk away. And if that meant retirement, that would be on my terms if it didn't. But it also didn't feel right just to leave and then have that be the end of my story either. And so that's when um, I reached out to Team USA. My husband is from the States. I've lived in Carlsbad, California for the last four years. I thought, well, all I can do is ask. So I phoned Team USA and I said, hey, are you guys looking for another Bob said pilot? I reached out to like Alana Myers Taylor, one of the other athletes. And I said, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Cause I didn't want to come in and exert my power or be like, I'm here. You know, I wanted to make sure that the teammates that were there that had put in the time and effort on Team USA were accepting and that they were okay with it. And so Alana said, I fully understand your position. And if this is what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you. And I'm okay. If you want to come over to Team USA, we would welcome you and the coaches said the same thing. And
0: I have and to I-, I have to pause you right here because that yeah. takes such a huge amount especially with what you've been through, a huge amount of humility and grace to do that because a lot of people are like I just want to do this for me. I have these goals now. And they just want to like hammer through. And you took the time to humble yourself, think about what you were walking into, think about the other people and ask them. And then obviously the grace on this side too, welcoming you in like that. That to me, I just, I just want to highlight that because a lot of people just bull in a China shop. I want my way. I want to figure out how to get it. And you didn't do that. You were about everybody else in the situation. Um, And obviously you're coming from a hard situation. So you understood that. And I just I think that was, that just says a lot about you and your character, I think.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, do unto others as you would want done to you. And I think that's an important aspect. And to come from an environment where I didn't feel safe, I didn't want other people to feel that way with me entering. Um, and I have respect for a lot of people, not only as competitors, but as humans. And especially, you know, in bobsled, it's, They're competitors, but these are also your family. We're a very tight-knit community. doesn't matter if you're from Germany or France or the USA or Canada. You get to have your friends, and you have your competitors. You have people that support you, and you have people that you probably won't talk to for the rest of your life that you see at the track for five minutes, and that's it. And that's okay. Um, We don't all have to hold hands and sing kumbaya, but I need to respect people. (laughs) Oh, come on now. (laughs) I would like to believe that that's possible, but sometimes (laughs) it's okay if you don't mesh. You don't have to be liked by everybody, but be who you are and respect other people for the fact that they're who they are. And, you know, that's their truth, and that's okay too. And so, you know, it was important for me to know that I was walking into a situation where respect and teamwork was valued, where I could feel safe, but also where they felt safe. And that, you know, we could communicate and that um, it was the right thing for everybody. And so, yeah, we all agreed. And the fact that, you know, the coaches were very accepting. We'd love to have you. Um, They were hard on me and not not harder than anybody else, but I I wasn't given anything. I had to go out and buy my own bobsled You know, that was $70,000. I had to, yeah. (laughs) Um, I had to put my money where my mouth was. I wasn't just given the number one spot. I had to earn it. I had to do team trials, even the first World Cup. I wasn't ranked number one. I had to go in and earn every step just like any other American athlete would have to do. And I was okay with that. And that's what was required of the team. So I also had to accept it. But I appreciate that that's how it was, because I think um, for me and the, the teammates that are there that have gone through that process and earned their position, you know, it was important for them to see that I'm no different than you. And the people that are representing the USA are the very best at what it is that they do. And they've earned that spot. Nothing's given. It's all earned. And you can have respect for fellow competitors when that's the case. And so, yeah, right away, right from day one, Everybody was very friendly, very accepting and accommodating. It wasn't the easiest transition from the sense of it there were things that were weird. The first time I got to go into the the building where the sled mechanic and all the, you know, team USA special equipment is, I was like, oh, I feel like this is where all the magic happens. And I've always I've never been able to be here. This is like the secrets, you know, <laughs> the special USA secrets that are all here. And now I get to know them. Like, what's happening? So part of it was like Christmas and part of it was like, am I supposed to be there? Oh yeah, I'm allowed to be in here. (laughs) So the first time I got to do things, you know, a part of Team USA, the first time I got to sing, you know, the Star Spangled Banner and the National Anthem, the best part about that was I wasn't doing it alone. And Lauren Gibbs was standing right beside me and she was singing louder and she was more happy to sing with me than you know, anybody else in the entire world. And I felt that love and that appreciation there. And she knew the entire story of what I've gone through. So it we it really brought us closer together, which was really cool. Um, and it definitely there was this respect piece, there was the performance aspect of it, and that we could all come together and and make each other better as humans and as competitors.
0: I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, it's when you can be so welcoming like that and, 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 you know, kind of fit right into the group, you guys are just going to make each other better. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Like we don't have to beat each other down to like, to win, like make everybody better and rise to the top. And I I love that you guys are doing that. And you and Lauren, we talked to Lauren earlier on the Pursuit of Gold podcast and she just absolutely adores you. She is hilarious. I love her. Um, (laughs) And I love that you guys paired up together won the 2020 World Championships this year. That's awesome. And I just, what, what, what does it look like going forward for you for the next couple of years?
1: Well, the next couple of years will be, well, for the rest of my career, I will now be a Team USA <laughs> athlete. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll be competing with Team USA moving forward. We have world championships in 2021 coming up on home soil in Lake Placid, New York. Nice. So I'm really excited for that because that's where I learned how to drive a bobsled. So oh, that's cool. That'll be, you know, kind of a a full full, full circle moment, yeah. Um, and get to kind of have another home world championship experience. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know for how long the lifespan. I could easily go till I'm about forty. I'm thirty four now, so I could do this next Olympics in twenty twenty two, and then potentially go to twenty twenty six. My husband and I want to have some kids, so after this games, we will start trying for that. Nice. Um, but it doesn't write out 2026 at the same point <laughs> until I have a kid. I don't know what it's like. So right. I'm not going to say I'm going to do it 100% either.
0: Well, you can just ask uh, Alana now since she has her little Nico now. So you can kind of find out what that's like from you.
1: are done 100%. And to know, like, I chatted to her on what it's like to come back so far and her experiences. So to be It'll be really cool to watch her go through this for the next two years um and to watch her you know work really hard towards twenty twenty two and hope they get to be there and be a support for her and continue our relationship together so that we can you know be the best teammates for each other and the best competitors. Sure. <laughs> we will be competitors but also teammates, exactly. and we're good with that. Um, but to watch her go through that and then be able to draw on that moving forward will be will be huge. So yeah, I'm super excited for the future and we'll see what happens. Well,
0: where can we follow you online and cheer you on, on this journey toward Beijing in 2022?
1: I am on Instagram at Kaylee Humphreys, on Twitter at Bobsled Kaylee, and then also on Facebook, Kaylee Humphreys.
0: Nice. And we'll make sure to link all that in the show notes uh, so that they spell your name correctly because it is a little bit tricky. So, it is a
1: little bit tricky. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, we'll make sure we get them all set up. But, Kaylee, thank you so much for being on. And just, I mean, you have so much experience and wisdom. And I absolutely love your attitude and your humility and just how vulnerable you were with us sharing all of that. So, thank you so, so, so much.
1: No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And again, too, if anybody has questions and there are other athletes out there that are finding personal challenges, hit me up. Send me a DM. I will be more than happy to, again, share my experiences or my lessons learned if there's a specific situation or issue that you're having trouble with. If you think part of hearing my story now that I can help or um, give you some guidance, send me a DM. I'll gladly reply. I see all of them. And uh, yeah, let's, you know, be better athletes together as a team. Love it. Thank you for that. Yes. Thank you very much for this.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.